Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Come with me. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. In movies, movies that had stories. And the story just sucks them in. This is just the beginning. We would be honoured if you would join us. Hello and welcome to Film Stories with Simon Brew. I am Simon Brew. Um, as always, that's all you need to know about me. Um, the aim of this podcast, though, is to talk about the little stories, uh, the production problems, the marketing challenges, any tale behind the scenes of movies. Um, I, I tend to zero in on fairly popular ones, just just allied really to my taste uh, as much as anything else. Um, but also I'm kind of conscious that no matter what film comes out at the end, be it good or bad, few people set out to make um, a bad movie and every film to some degree is difficult to make. My first film this week then um, is one that really was very, very difficult to make. Um, and I, I, it's one I've, I've always quite enjoyed, but it's one of those that pretty much leaves your brain as soon as um, as soon as it enters it. Um, and if you go down the American box office tallies for Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, um, there are only um, three non-sequel, non-franchise action films he ever did that made more than a hundred million dollars at the US box office. So True Lies was one of them. A lot that Terminator sequels did, but, but the original Terminator didn't. So True Lies is one of them. Total Recall is another. And the third one is this. He works for a secret government agency. He answers to no one. He is called in when time has run out. To save your life, he must eliminate every trace of your existence. A body may be found, but it won't be yours. Because to protect your future, he will erase your past. That was a clip from 1996's Eraser, which um, was uh, a, a solid success for Schwarzenegger, but it's one that not an awful lot of people tend to talk about anymore. And it's got a, a fairly hefty um, production, you know, production challenges behind it that I thought were worth exploring. Um, the original script for the film then was written by Tony Puyer and Wallen Green. Um, and it came to the attention of director Chuck Russell, who's made The Mask the, and The Scorpion King. And he, at this time, was in the midst of developing another project with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, Schwarzenegger hadn't 
been in cinemas since 1994 when um, a couple of films came out. He had True Lies and he also had Junior. Um, he wasn't seen on cinema screens um, in a lead role or anything in 1995. And so Eraser was, um, Eraser surfaced um, and Chuck Russell and Schwarzenegger both decided that that's the film they want to do. Uh, according to the press notes that were put out around the time, both recognised a serendipitous match between character and an actor. Um, and so that's the one they pressed ahead with. Warner Brothers um, was uh, was interested, signed up and dated the film for the summer of 1996. It duly had an Arnold Schwarzenegger blockbuster on its docket. And this was at a point where getting a big Arnold Schwarzenegger summer film um, was gold. You know, that, that's what movie executives were striving for. If you could get Arnie to sign up for your next movie, um, you were pretty much away. Um, don't forget that in the early 90s, um, you know, Terminator 2, um, Total Recall had hit enormously big. Um, and True Lies, just two, just two years before he, his reunion with James Cameron, was a, a significant hit. Um, and so Warner Brothers signed up. They uh, assigned um, a $70 million budget to make the film. Producer Arnold Copeson um, was shepherding the film forward. And uh, as with most of these things, nothing could possibly go wrong. The narrative of the film then saw uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as John Kruger, although truthfully he could have just been called pretty much anything in this, um, as someone protecting Vanessa Williams in uh, the Witness Protection uh, Federal Witness Relocation Programme. Um, and the filmmakers were quite keen to make that fairly authentic. They were trying to ground it to some degree, even though by the end of the film, Arnold Schwarzenegger is as much a Terminator in this one as anything else. I mean, it, it, I think he has nails uh, whacked into his hand at some at one point um, and he just brushes it off as if someone's just, just sneezed in his direction or something like that. Um, but nonetheless, um, the production got going. Filming, um, filming began in 1995, um, and then the problems started to um, started to come together. Not unusually for a big summer blockbuster that was rushing towards a fixed deadline, the core problem with the movie was that the script wasn't fixed. That um, the studio wasn't um, wasn't utterly sold on the screenplay that it had, um, but nonetheless it was it absolutely wanted that space on its release schedule filled, and thus the film pressed forward at great speed, and that's why there were numerous stories of um, of the film being continually rewritten on set, and some some very high brow writers were brought to. to come and work on it so John Milius uh, William Wisher and Frank Darabont were amongst those that were on the payroll of the film coming in and doing rewrite, rewrite work even as it had even as production had begun and Arnold Copelson um, did defend this um, the producer said that it, it was it was just the way he did things on his film. He always had a writer on hand. He pointed to the fact that he'd um, he'd done something similar with the film Outbreak, which had been clearly a, a, a good, sizable hit uh, for Warner Brothers a year or two before. 
However, what was clear on this particular project was the rewrites were coming um, pretty fast and furious. So one of the things that happens on, on a film set uh, when when new script pages come in, the, the script starts off as, as uh, all printed on white paper. Rewrites start coming in on, on different colours so that you can tell which bits are new, which bits are old, which bits have been changed. And you can also, in theory, instantly look at a script and see that everyone's got the most up-to-date pages. Um, the problem was um, that the, according to an insider who was quoted in a Los Angeles Times piece around the time of the film's release, um, the middle of the film changed two or three times um, and thus the different colour script pages came fast and furious. And this insider quoted uh, just said, I think we went through the full spectrum of colours twice. Um, now, the, the, the very fact that it was the middle that kept getting changed gives you an idea of how deep the surgery um, that allegedly was going on uh, with, with Eraser was. Again, Copelson pushed back against this. Um, and it is important to put his point of view. And he said he saw the script revisions as, and this is, this is his quote, changes of concept as opposed to rewrites. Now, to my mind, a change of concept sounds like a whole, a, a much, much bigger thing that, than a straight rewrite. Um, and also, in, against the backdrop of all of this, the production budget of the film started to go north and started to go north by the sounds of it at, at, at some speed. Um, whilst no one ever gives you a printout of the final balance sheet of a film, um, the production cost of Eraser ballooned uh, reportedly from $70 million to $100 million. Um, again, no, nothing massively unusual to that. It was just more everything is 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 up against the clock. Everything's going fast. Um, and but also there were reports that this wasn't a massively well organised production. And this again is something that Copelson pushed back against and denied. But also the the, the production was plagued by rumours that um, Copelson and director Chuck Russell just didn't really get on. Uh, to the point where at one stage they were said not to be talking at all. Um, and in the midst of all of this, the one person who did get on with both of them was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, and so he was, to a degree, acting as peacemaker between the two of them. Again, it's it's not um, it's not a verified story. Um, it's just one of the one of the tales that's come about as a consequence of this film and continues to kind of cycle around it a little bit. As does, I'm going to go back to the Los Angeles Times report um, that I talked about earlier, because then that also talks about some <clears throat> very massive logistical things that the film was up against that it, it, it seemed to struggle with to some degree. Um, and it talked about um, a moment where the key cast and crew of the film were flown from Los Angeles to New York. Um, to film big scenes in a building that had been readily dressed up to look like the CIA, the CIA headquarters. So you can't imagine everyone flew economy for a start. Um, so that's going to be a sizable amount of money just to get them across the country. But what made that particular story strike, really, was the fact that they got there and then they were ordered home not long after they'd arrived and no footage was um, no footage was shot as a consequence of that trip. Um, it was just a production expense in the end. Um, and I wonder if that comes down to the significant rewrite work that was reportedly going on. Um, but it wasn't the only example of something like that happening. 
on a separate on a separate occasion, uh, the key cast and crew were this time flown from Los Angeles to Washington. Again, I'm sure they're in the cheap seats um, and, and they didn't have the in-flight meal. That I mean, that's a certainty. Um, but they were flown from Los Angeles to Washington. They did. And the idea was they were going to do three or four days filming there. Um, but again, they got there and with no film in the can, they were shipped off somewhere else. I think at that point they did go to New York to do filming, but they, they'd all gone to Washington and filmed not not a second of footage. Um, and this tallies further with reports as well that, that sequences of the film were being prepared to, to be shot on a given day, that the scenes were lit, um, everything was put together, and then the sequences were scrapped on the day that they were supposed to be filmed, that everything was prepared. All the pre-production work had been done, um, they, they, but they were just scrapped from the schedule and in many cases um, not shot. Um, the film's ending was rewritten as well. Um, I think that's fairly common, um, uh, that, 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 that big movie endings do, do get a rewrite. It was supposed to end with something of a romantic denouement that, that just didn't happen in the end. Um, but the, the actual nailing down of a finished script, I mean, by the sounds of it, it, it came close to not finishing uh, production with a finished script, yet alone not starting. There are moments in the film, though, where um, they, they really strove for some degree of authenticity. Um, and there's a railgun weapon in there. I didn't know this story until I, I was just researching um, for, for this bit of the podcast. There's a railgun weapon in there that was actually based on, on a prototype. And it is probably the most infamous weapon seen in the film. Um, um, but it, it, it was based on a real thing, although scaled down to, to fit movie size. There's also the moment where uh, the two crocodiles uh, have their heads knocked together. I think it's the your luggage line that Schwarzenegger spits out that particular point. And you'll find in that sequence a mix of um, a mix of crocodile alligator CG. Um, and, and I mean, it's the ingenuity just to get that together, actually, um, is really something. The film did make it to cinemas on time and it got. I mean, in the scheme of things, it got it got fairly decent reviews as well. Um, I mean, it had especially um, especially filmed bit for the trailer uh, where Schwarzenegger turned to the camera and go, "You've been erased." And Schwarzenegger was, um, I, I mean, his films were forerunners to a degree in the teaser in the specially filmed teaser trailer that was released donkeys in advance. So, the, I, I mean, you remember the you may remember the Terminator Two trailer that came out long before with not a shred of footage from the film in it but was just teasing the return of the movie. And then Last Action Hero, a film we will come back to um, in a future episode, um, there was it was all billed as the big ticket for summer 1993 and a trailer for that was playing um, the Christmas before that that was shot with Schwarzenegger walking up to the camera and saying, no, 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 come back later. So in this case, he, he did a cheeky, you've been erased, back to the audience. And he knew his audience and, and he knew what kind of film um, he was playing for. Um, and as a consequence, um, when it did come out in the midst of those middling reviews, I mean, it, it did decent business. Um, in America, it grossed $101 million, which wasn't huge by Arnie standards, um, but it was it was solid. Uh, it added another $140 million uh, overseas. It was I mean, it's interesting that it was um, it, it, you could see the turning point in cinema 
uh, in, mo- in movie stars versus CG driven uh, films at the at the box office in the summer of 1996 you had Independence Day and Twister with the top films there were still movie star um, movie star films that, that, that were doing well the first Mission Impossible was the third biggest grossing film of that summer um, Ransom for Mel Gibson was the same year um, although that came out that came out later and then there was Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage in The Rock and it was interesting to see an Arnold Schwarzenegger action film come so far down the list um, but still that shouldn't mitigate against the fact that it was his last big standalone action hit um, and I, I mean away from um, away from True Lie I mean, people were looking at whether it would do True Lies kind of numbers and, and it never really threatened to do so but away from True Lies it was, it was regarded as a solid functional entertaining action movie but never one that ever threatened to um, it, it, that ever threatened to become any kind of phenomenon but also I'd argue at some point I'd argue at this point that that nobody foresaw this would be the last Arnie, you know, big Arnie standalone action movie to, to gross over a hundred million dollars. It's only Terminator sequels that have done that at the US box office for Schwarzenegger since. In fact, Terminator Genesis didn't even didn't even make that. Be interested to see what the next um, the next one does. But his career took a turn um, in the after. I mean, he did Batman and Robin straight afterwards, and then afterwards Schwarzenegger had um, heart surgery. Um, which again kept him off the screen for uh, for a couple of years before he would return with an interesting film, but not one that played heavily to his fan base in the shape of End of Days. And so it, it, all that, um, you know, all that bundled together, Eraser in many ways feels like a little bit of an end of an era, certainly as a chapter in Schwarzenegger's career, but also in the idea that the traditional, the traditional 80s um, and early 90s movie star could headline um, could headline a vehicle that was tailored for them and see it go bananas at the box office. Eraser, um, Eraser is a is a fun film and a forgettable film, but also in its own way um, a little bit of a turning point, I'd argue. For our second film uh, in this week's uh, film stories, um, I'm zooming uncharacteristically forward to somewhere near the present day. Uh, Well, by my standards, I'm going back five years um, to a hugely successful film. And it's strange to describe it at that when we go through one or two of the stories that we're going to that came out in 2013, to which a sequel is still in development for um, and which grossed over half a billion dollars at the box office. Let's have a clip and then we'll come back to it. Does it live in a jungle? No. Oh. Is it really fast? No. Does it live on the Great Plains of Africa? No. Hey! What is going on? Hold on, guys. Daddy, be careful on the road. Get back in your car right now! Remain with your feet! 
That then um, was a clip from 2013's World War Z. Um, I know that I'm supposed to call it World War Z, but I'm British, so I'm going with Z. Um, let, let, let's still agree to be friends. Um, the, the the film was based on the acclaimed book by Max Brooks. It had been um, going through the Hollywood system for a while. It had turned up on the blacklist of the best unproduced scripts at one point. And it came to the attention of Brad Pitt and his Plan B production company, Pitt was reportedly interested in some kind of action franchise or, or, or just some kind of bigger movie. Plan B at that point was doing fairly modest productions and hadn't done a big effects driven blockbuster. Um, Paramount Pictures, um, which, which signed up uh, to make the film with him, meanwhile, was also going through a fairly transitionary stage. At this point, it had just lost its distribution deal with DreamWorks Animation that went to Fox. Um, now at Universal as part of um, a, a takeover deal. Um, and then um, also the rights to Marvel Studios films had gone to Disney. So Paramount um, distributed the first four Marvel films. Um, but once Disney bought up Marvel, that changed. Um, and it, you know, Disney distributed the one since and eventually bought Paramount out of the Avengers, for instance. Um with World War with World War Z though, um, uh, uh, it, it took a while to, for a script to come together. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski was involved at one point, um, uh, but he was he didn't really get on with director Mark Forster, who was hired to helm the project in 2008. Now, Brad Pitt and Mark Forster had been looking to work together um, on something. They'd been working, developing another project to this point. Um, but, and, and Forster had sprung to fame uh, primarily off Monsters Ball, but also off um, Finding Neverland. And he also did Quantum of Solace, the James Bond film, of course. Um, and the production then started to come together. Um, rewrites, rewrites continued, but by 2010, they had a concept for the film that was enough to persuade Brad Pitt to not only produce the film, but also sign on to star in it. Um, and Paramount was thrilled with this. It had a, a, it had a Brad Pitt blockbuster movie um, on its slate, and it wanted to press ahead at some speed with it. Now, Unusually for a big blockbuster film, um, the tales of production problems on World War Z came to the fore both during production and also in an extensive Vanity Fair article that landed just like a couple of weeks before the film's release. Um, and I, I've used bits and bobs of what, of what Vanity Fair dug up um, as part and parcel of, of the stories that I'm going to talk you through now. Um, but it's well worth digging out the original article. But also the thing that really struck me about it is the timing of it. We were reading things about World War Z and the production of World War Z that ordinarily you would expect to hear a couple of years after a film was out. And here it was with the, with the marketing campaign in full flow. Um... Filming began on the movie um, in June 2011 and the studio uh, and Pitt at this point knew that the, the ending still needed some work at that stage, that they felt they had the first two thirds of the film, um, but not not really a satisfying way to, to end it. Paramount was also keen and this is fairly testing given that it's a zombie, uh, a zombie infested movie, that World War Z would end up with a PG-13 rating um, because it, it was investing a sizable amount of cash in the film and it obviously wanted to play it to the, the broadest global audience it could. Um, it did have 
have some help in that regard in that the locations for the film were taking it around the world and as such there was always going to be international appeal appeal to selling a film about zombies or a zombie outbreak on a global level um the the walking dead was was uh, proving a huge hit on television at this point i know the walking dead is still going um but it, it was particularly spiking at this point um, but so so filming began. Um, Paramount announced a December 2012 release date, um, but problems started to mount fairly quickly by the sounds of it. So there's an infamous story of when the film was shooting in Malta and they didn't build sets for it. They were working with locations. I love the bit that there was a restaurant owner who refused to shut down their restaurant while the filming was going on, even though the street around it was closed. But also... There's a simple admin error at one point that where they discuss the um, the production team discovered a load of purchase orders that had just been um, ju- just been filed away in a desk um, and added a substantive amount of um, overspend to the mon- to the production fairly early into filming. The movie was um, that I mean the film production was 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 taking advantage of economies wherever it could. I mean it, it shot extensively uh, in Glasgow at one point, doubling for locations elsewhere in the world because they got a good deal on on filming in Glasgow, um, and it was proving to be nonetheless a fairly complex production, uh, marrying up lots and lots of extras with fairly extensive sequences, all sorts of locations. And then at the heart of it, stories of a director and star stroke producer who weren't getting on. Um, Now, again, I mean, stories like this pop up an awful lot um, and there tends to be an element of he says, she says about it. In this particular instance, it was press reports that suggested Pitt and Forster were just not on speaking terms. Uh, Forster, though, uh, when he got wind of these stories, um, was quick to push back against them and say that that wasn't the case at all. Um, uh, acknowledging that it was a difficult production, um, but nonetheless, it, it's just the stress sometimes of making a big movie. However, um, the film, the, the film finally, finally wrapped after after going to uh, an assortment of locations, um, and it was when the when Forster presented his first assembled footage cut of the film that um, pretty much everyone, by the sounds of it, agreed that they had they had a problem, that they'd set up this film where Pitt's character is, uh, a, you know, a human being trying to, um, you know, trying to survive um, a, a kind of globetrotting thriller that just happens to involve zombies. And then there was an original last act of the movie... Um, that ran a last action sequence in, set in Russia's Red Square that lasted for 12 minutes where apparently he just turned into an action star where all of a sudden his character just went all hack and slash um, and it basically was just not matching the movie at all um, that the tone that the tone very quickly changed and um, from the going back to that vanity re- fair report um it sounded like anyone who was watching the early footage that was put together the early assemblage that was put together was agreeing that they had a sizable problem with the ending of the film 
so sizable that this logistically very complex sequence and hugely expensive sequence that they'd filmed in Russia, um, which was being described as Rambo versus the zombies when people looked at it, that they were all agreeing it just had to go. Um, And this is where the story went really public. Uh, Because, I mean, the film had been hit by one or two uh, public stories already. I mean, at one stage, weapons were impounded um, because they hadn't been made fully safe. And it made an awful lot of noise around the Internet for a bit. As it turned out, the case was quietly dropped a few months later and and everything was sorted out. But what was interesting here was it was it wasn't even an open secret. It was just open that Paramount and Brad Pitt had brought Damon Lindelof, then riding high off the back of the TV series Lost, to uh, they'd invited him to the Paramount lot and they showed him the assemble cut 72 a 72 minute version of World War Z uh, and Lindelof not uh, naturally wondered where the rest of it was um, and it turned out the rest of it was missing because they needed a new ending for the film they weren't happy with it at all um, and so Lindelof also recruited um, Drew Goddard um, and then hit the uh, he watched the footage and gave them a couple of options. Um, option one um, was to work with what they got um, and see what they could put together. And option two was to, to basically completely redo the ending at sizable expense. Um, and and at, he's quoted as saying, so when I gave them those two roads and they said he more interested in road B, I was like, to be honest with you, good luck selling that to Paramount. But Brad Pitt and his team did indeed sell that to Paramount. Paramount agreed to stump up tens of million dollars to completely reshoot a brand new ending. The problem was the brand new ending hadn't even been written at this stage. And that's why Lindelof and Drew Goddard went away. and, And this was deep into production, went away and came up with what would be the resultant finale of the film which was 30 40 minutes worth of the film this wasn't like five minutes at the end of the movie this was a whole new sequence uh this is the bit where you get peter capaldi as as the who doctor you you may recall from the time um but the whole new sequence was, was built from scratch um to give it a more a more human character ending rather than an action sequence ending um and that um and that extra filming um, took place in London in October 2012. Um, The report was that uh, Christopher McQuarrie, now riding high off directing the last two Mission Impossible films, of course, um, was on set as as a ride just, you know, just in case anything was needed. Uh, the reshoots were finished on December the 3rd. Paramount pushed the release date back to June the 21st and the Vanity Fair stuff was coming out around that time. So, All the predictions building up to the release of World War Z was this was going to be a monster flop and Paramount was in trouble. It needed $400 million just to break even on it. It then put out a marketing campaign that barely mentioned the zombies at all. Um, Those of us, I don't know if you recall it, um, but the the trailers just, just... pulled right back on it and you you would have had you you had to do just a little bit of work to work out this was going to be a zombie movie it was almost like they didn't have that much courage in the um you know in 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 the nature of the film they were trying to sell but heck sell it they did 540 million dollars world war z 
made at the global box office, which um, for a film without a Roman numeral in a Roman numeral in the title even was a phen- was and is a phenomenal amount of money. I think it's even harder now to come up with a film that breaks half a billion dollars if you've not got a franchise attached. I think Spielberg's Ready Player One was one of the few that that managed it this this year. Um, World War Z clearly was a massively bruising production for lots of people involved with it. Lots of members of personnel changed um, throughout. The, I, I mean, a producer went at that uh, at one point. One of the uh, heads of visual uh, of visual effects moved on. Lots of writers were burned through. Um, and there was, by the looks of it, a reasonable degree of collateral damage just in getting the production to the screen in the first place. And I wonder now, because the story of this isn't done. I mean, Max Brooks, uh, the author of the original book, said that they didn't have an awful lot of, in common with his book. And that's not a massive surprise. Um, the, stu- the structure of the book, in much the same way, um, there's still battle Hollywood's trying to wrap its head around Robo-Apocalypse. Um, the structure of the book doesn't massively lend itself to a, a, a three-act narrative, a traditional film three-act na- narrative. But conversely, the film leaves things um, on a an ending to be picked up with a sequel and indeed plans remain afoot for a sequel but they seem as uh, as mired in development hell and I wonder if that's as a consequence just of the sheer amount of trouble they went through uh, in the physical production and, and the making of the first film so the last um, the last we heard on it the last I heard on it was David Fincher was interested in reuniting with Brad Pitt to direct but Fincher is um, is knee deep with television projects um, at the moment as well and there doesn't seem an awful lot of uh, a, a, an awful lot of sign of a, a completed screenplay yet. I mean, Stephen Knight was working on it at one point, and presumably this time around, the the aim would be very much have a finished script before film before filming begins, and just try and set, head off the, the the possibility of having to completely reshoot the last act of a movie um, after production has wrapped um, in a kind of we're backed into a corner emergency situation. Paramount and and Plan B will know that they got away with it once. Uh, The chance of them getting away with it twice, let's just say not on the uh, not on the likely side. That's been the latest episode of Film Stories with Simon Brew. Um, if you could uh, find any way to support this podcast, to shout about it, um, it is a small independent production. Um, it is it is one 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 nerd in a room with a microphone. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Simon Brew. You can find the podcast at Film Stories Pod. We have even more film stories going up on our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com/slash/filmstories. Um, you can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash film stories online. Um, we've got lots of stuff that we're working on that we want to tell you about, but anything you can do to help spread the word and introduce more people to to the, the wonderfully, um, let's go, eclectic world of film stories, it will be hugely, hugely appreciated. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for your support so far. And I'll be back soon with some more film stories. Take care.